right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. that. You don't got time for that. All right? Let's go. Break it. Break it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Yo! What's going on? I'm Nick Springer. Derek Johnson is out today. He's on vacation. He'll be back on Monday. So today, we bring you another edition of Nick Chuck Sports Talk. You're on RCST. I'm pretty shocked that Derek continues to entrust the show to me, but he does. And we're still here. Still battling. Still kicking. And we have another exciting edition, a Friday edition of RCST today before the weekend. Okay, West Virginia preview is that is tomorrow. I have a Rock Chuck Pickhawk also. Derek and I texted to get our picks in, so we'll have that later on in the hour. And at 3.40, David Lesky is going to join the show to talk a little bit of Royals as spring training gets underway. In the 4 o'clock hour, sports stock markets, a little uh, spring sports update for KU baseball, KU softball, and also we hear from Bill Self. He had a chance to catch up with the media yesterday ahead of the West Virginia matchup. And in the 5 o'clock hour, we'll have also some uh, McCuller audio as well. Kevin McCuller ahead of tomorrow's matchup against West Virginia. Some potentially big news. I don't I don't really consider it to be big news, but it might be. Literally minutes ago, the Chiefs announced that Matt Nagy is going to replace Eric Bieniemy as the offensive coordinator uh, in Kansas City. And I think for some people, this may have been just sort of a foregone conclusion. That seemed to be the general idea after Eric Bieniemy left for Washington. Matt Nagy has a great relationship with Patrick Mahomes. Obviously, he knows the Chiefs system pretty much, really. And so it seemed like a, a fairly logical step. And the Chiefs made that official just a few minutes ago. So Matt Nagy is an offensive coordinator for Kansas City. And they'll have to fill up some of their positions, I think, on the offense. With as I think there's some assistance from Eric Bannaby that might be going with him. And so there probably will be some more staff news for the Chiefs going forward. But Matt Nagy, the man who sort of stole the show on the stage at, at times during the Super Bowl parade, is the new Chiefs offensive coordinator. Okay, so KU basketball. They take on West Virginia tomorrow. You can hear it right here on KLWN with pregame coverage beginning at 1.30. Tip-off at 3 o'clock from Allen Fieldhouse with Brian Haney, the voice of the Jayhawks, right here on KLWN, your original your original home for the Hawks. You can also hear it on our sister station, 105.9 KISS. Kansas, if you remember, earlier in the season when they played West Virginia, it's been a while, they took care of business very easily against West Virginia. On the road in Morgantown. It was one of the easier games for KU in conference play early in the year. They won it 76-62. to Pretty much led wire to wire. And it was the really, it was their third conference game of the season. It was their first conference game where it felt like, okay, this was a game where you didn't really have to stress at all. And it was really up until the K-State game at the end of January, it was one of the only conference games where you could say that. 
where you felt pretty good and didn't have to stress too much. As Kansas pretty much cruised in the game, in that win, you had four starters scoring double figures. Ironically enough, Jalen Wilson was the only guy who didn't, or excuse me, uh, you had all five starters scoring double figures. You had 11 from Dewan Harris, 14 from KJ Adams, 14 from Jalen Wilson, 16 from Grady Dick, and 12 from Kevin McCuller in that first meeting. And Kansas was 11 from 24 from three in that game as well. And as I said, pretty much led from wire to wire in that game. Well, that was almost two months ago. That was January 7th. And Kansas is playing even better now than they were then. Jayhawks are on now a five-game winning streak going back to February 6th against Texas, and they squashed Oklahoma, took care of business against Oklahoma State, ended up blowing out Baylor at home and coming off that big win against TCU in Fort Worth. So for Kansas, they are in position to almost lock up the Big 12 with wins against West Virginia and Texas Tech, considering what Texas has to play uh, coming up as well. So, But this is a game that, for Kansas, you don't want to take it lightly. You do not want to take it lightly. This is still a dangerous West Virginia team. This is a West Virginia team that pretty much all of the metrics absolutely love. They are 20th in Ken Palm. They're top 30 in, uh, in the net rankings as well. This is a team that the metrics love. And they're also a team that is very much still fighting for an NCAA tournament spot. And a win against Kansas on the road would almost certainly push them over the limit into the tournament. West Virginia was on a three-game losing streak before they beat Oklahoma State pretty handily in their last game. And that win against Oklahoma State has now vaulted them into a position where they really do have a legitimate shot to potentially make the NCAA tournament. There's good news and bad news for West Virginia. The good news is they have three games coming up that could all be quad one wins and really push them into the tournament if they're able to win maybe two of them. The bad news, it's Kansas, Iowa State, and Kansas State, three of the top five teams in the Big 12 right now. So it's, it's, it's a tough path for West Virginia. But this is a desperate team. This is a team that is scrapping and clawing for everything they can try to get to try to make the NCAA tournament and a team that Kansas certainly cannot take lightly. And Bill Self talked about that. We'll get to his audio later on in the show about how, you know, this is an important, a uh, very important game for, for West Virginia. But for Kansas, this is all about just taking care of business and you're in the pole position for the Big 12 title. Don't overthink it. Just play your game. You're at home. And you'll be fine. You'll be fine. So some differences from the first game. The big difference for Kansas is Ernest Uday. And this has been brought up a couple times for some of Kansas's more recent opponents, but Ernest Uday didn't play against West Virginia. And in fact, there was a stretch for a couple weeks there where he didn't play at all in Big 12 play. And now, of course, he's your first guy off the bench, basically. Certainly, obviously, in, in, to spell KJ Adams. But uh, he's been very effective and has been continuing to get better and better, which has been really impressive. And and when he is playing well, that elevates Kansas' ceiling, I think, even higher. So that's the big difference for Kansas is they will have Ernest Uday, who is a guy that's going to play double-digit minutes probably in this game. On the flip side for West Virginia, 
They have Kadrian Johnson back, who did not play in the first matchup. And Johnson is a really solid player, averages double-digit points for them. He's a six foot three guard, and he could change things up a little bit for West Virginia. Bill Self gave actually gave Johnson some pretty high praise uh, in the in his press conference that he had earlier. When we'll get to that later in the show about talking about, yeah, this guy makes a difference and is somebody we need to be aware of if we're Kansas. So those are the two things that really jump out personnel-wise that could be a little different between this game and the first matchup in Morgantown. And for West Virginia, in that first game, they shot just 4 of 20 from 3. And this is a team that on the season averages just under thirty, just over 35% from 3. In conference play, they haven't been as good, just 33%, but still certainly a lot better than 4 of 20. And I think you can expect that, they're, that they might shoot a little bit better uh, in Allen Fieldhouse, maybe. Or maybe not, I guess. Eric Stevenson had a tough game. He was 4-14. Bill Self talked about that, too, of saying, you know, hey, this is a guy that the same shots that he took against us uh, back in January, he would, he's if he hits those shots sometimes in other games. So we'll see. We'll see what kind of game Eric Stevenson has. He he's Like I said, he struggled in that first game, but he's coming off of a really, really strong game against Oklahoma State, 23 points, and he was 5-6 of six from three. Obviously, for Kansas, you hope he doesn't do that. Uh, against you. The good news for Kansas is this is kind of a, a big strength for KU against a, a, a weakness for West Virginia, and that is two-point field goal percentage. Kansas has the best two-point field goal percentage defense in the Big 12 at just under 46%, and West Virginia is the worst two-point field goal shooting team in the conference at, ju- at right around 47% from two. So a weakness for West Virginia and a strength for Kansas going against each other there. However, West Virginia does offensive rebound the ball very well. And Derek and I talked about this on the show yesterday about reasons why Kansas may not win the title or reasons, or I guess reasons why they could lose against West Virginia is, is if they have a bad rebounding game. Well, West Virginia is number one in the Big 12 right now in offensive rebound percentage at over 35%. And that's an area that Kansas has certainly been a lot better at. And in, in recent, at least in recent games, but it's still something that I, I think you have to be a little bit concerned about. I don't know. Maybe it's a little bit of bias of you just you remember the games where Kansas didn't rebound very well more than you remember the games where they did rebound well, if, if that makes sense, right? I think sometimes there can be a bit of a bias there where the the bad the, the bad things sometimes will stick out more in your memory than maybe some of the good things. So that could be the case, potentially. But yeah, they've, they've been doing a lot better recently. And for Kansas, Jalen Wilson, we, we talked about him. He's been in a bit of a slump, sort of. Uh, again, I, I don't know that slump is the right term for it because he's still averaging almost 13 points per game over the last five. But obviously his numbers have dipped significantly from what they were a month ago. Which how could they not when he was on that stretch of scoring almost 30 points a game? So what will his impact be in this game? And then you have Grady Dick as well, who can be up and down at times for Kansas. But again, I think for KU, this is a, this is a situation where even if you just play your B game at home, you should be you should be getting the win. You should be getting the win. West Virginia is not a very good defensive team. They don't force a lot of turnovers, so this should be a game where if Dewan Harris has the ball, he should be making the right decisions and capitalizing. He's been so impressive. 
almost eight. Uh, his turn assist turnover ratio is almost eight, I think, over the last uh, four games. So he's he's been so good, and I think this is a game where you kind of expect him to continue to do that. You kind of expect him to have a big game in terms of getting assists and not turning it over. West Virginia's steal percentage is 7.5% in conference play. That is dead last. Dead last in the Big 12. So for Kansas, and again, there's been games where Kansas has struggled with unforced turnovers. We haven't seen it in a while, I guess, but there have been games when they've struggled with unforced turnovers. So you don't want to let that happen. But this is but this is also a game where you don't just want to sleepwalk into it. You really don't if you're if you're Kansas. And I I don't think they will because I'm sure Bill Self's message has been, hey, this is a team that is firmly on the bubble looking to make the NCAA tournament. And if they come into Allen Fieldhouse and get a win, they would probably be in. Right? So they, they have a, a lot to play for. That's kind of the interesting thing, the interesting dynamic of these next two games for Kansas is yeah, they're against the the eighth and ninth teams in the Big Twelve, West Virginia and Texas Tech. But West Virginia and Texas Tech are two teams that are very, very much in contention for the NCAA tournament. And one road win over a top three team could be enough to put them in. So they have everything to play for. You would think at this point in the season, you're the number one team in the Big Twelve. The number eight and number nine teams in the Big Twelve are coming into your house. You might be thinking, okay, yeah, whatever. Sure. I mean, we should easily win, right? Whatever the other team probably doesn't have anything to play for. They're what? They're eight. They're eighth in the big. What eighth and ninth in the Big Twelve? What are they? What are they playing for? What are they playing for? Well, and this year, and with the state of the Big Twelve, they're playing for a chance to go to the NCAA tournament. And I can't think of a, anything that would motivate your team any more than that than trying to get the NCAA tournament. So it is rather it is rather interesting because I think normally you just kind of would just uh, you wouldn't even bat an eye at these next two games if you're Kansas uh, in any other year, right? You think okay, two and zero. Let's go win the conference outright at Texas. But that, you know, that that doesn't I don't think that's going to be the case. I think this these are going to be maybe maybe a little bit tougher games than what you might expect. And like I said, in the case of West Virginia, obviously when you look at their metrics, the metric sites love them. Love West Virginia. So, and they're coming off of a of a confidence building win against Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State, by the way, I guess is just broken. I don't know. K broke them. I don't know what else to say about that. And Bob Huggins' coach teams are always going to be competitive. Always. So that's another factor here. But for Kansas, I think I mentioned this earlier in the week, to me that you know the, the difference between good coaches and, and great coaches and the best coaches is can you get your team to be playing at a high level in late February, in early March? Can, can you get your team to be playing at, at the best level they can be playing at at the most important times of the season? And I think we're seeing that from Kansas this year. This Kansas team looks like they are starting to peak at the right time. They're starting to figure things out at the right time. They're starting to really come together defensively at the right time. The bench is starting to come together at the right time with Ernest Uday. You're still not really getting that much from like guys like Joe Yesifu, but Bobby Pettifer even a little bit here and there, right? Like the, they just... It just seems like some of these factors for Kansas that have been a little more questionable at times early in the season are starting to starting to come together a bit. And to me, I think that speaks to to the quality of Bill Self. Of Bill Self getting his team playing at the level that they need to be playing at, at their highest level at the right time. And this is an opportunity against 
West Virginia and Texas Tech to go prove it. To go prove it at home, defend your home court, and then you're looking at going to Texas, potentially with a share already decided if Texas drops the game, or a chance to just go win it outright. So that that's that's kind of how I view this game against West Virginia is you don't want to sleepwalk into it. You don't want to take them lightly. This is a tough team. They have some so they have some pretty impressive wins on their resume. They are fighting for a tournament spot. And a win like this would put them in. On the flip side for Kansas, you got to take care of business to win the Big 12 title. But furthermore, the number one overall seed in the entire NCAA tournament is not out of reach for KU, I don't think. I mean, if they win out these next three games and then they win even one or two games at the Big 12 tournament, it might be there for them. It might be there for them. might be there for them if Bama Bama slips up and Houston slips up. Or it it might be there for them just on the fact that they're going to have like 18 quad one wins at that point, which is just unprecedented. I don't think does it justice the – significance of that of having 15 16 17 quad one wins in the regular season i don't think unprecedented really fully encapsulates just how impressive that is and just how impressive kansas has been down the stretch so i expect down fieldhouse to be fired up i think i mean you only got two home games left if you're the students, if you're KU fans, so get out there and enjoy these last couple of games for KU at Allen Fieldhouse this season, and hopefully Kansas can get it done on, on Saturday. I, I suspect that they will, and I think they will win if they just play their B game. I, th- I don't, I don't think Kansas has to do anything special here. I don't think they have to do anything crazy. Just be be consistent, be consistent early and often. With their energy, with their with their style of play, and this is a game that I think you you should be able to win without having to do without without having to give your give a Herculean effort against West Virginia. But you never know in the Big Twelve. You never know in the Big Twelve. So we'll see. That game can be heard right here on KLWN tomorrow afternoon. Tip off at three p.m. Pre-game will begin at one thirty with the Crimson and Blue Show. Brian Haney and Greg Gurley will have the call. You can also hear it on our sister station, 105.9 KISS, tomorrow afternoon. All right, we're going to take a short timeout. When we come back, Rock Chuck Pickahawk for the West Virginia game. Derek and I communicated via text to get our picks, so I will uh, just share that in our next segment. And also, in 15 minutes, David Lesky is going to join the show from inside the crowd to talk about uh, the Royals as spring training gets underway uh, out in Arizona. So... We'll talk to David about that. Coming up at the 4 o'clock hour, sports stock markets, uh, some Bill Self audio, and in the 5 o'clock hour, Kevin McCuller audio as well here on Rock Chalk Sports Stock. Also a reminder that uh, they, we also have high school sports tonight. High school free, It'll be a free state high school basketball. The boys taking on Mill Valley tonight at 7 o'clock. We were going to bring you the, the girls game as well, free state high school girls versus Mill Valley. But that game has been canceled. It was scheduled for 530. It's been canceled. So only the boys game tonight here on KLWN. It is the last game of the regular season for Free State before the postseason begins. 
and they love to get a win on senior out, I'm sure, on the last game of the regular season. You can hear that right here with Sam Speck on the call at 7 o'clock tonight right here on KLWN. All right, we're going to take a short break here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. When we come back, Rock Chalk Pickhawk, this is RCSD on KLWN. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I'm Nick Springer. Derek Johnson is out today, so Nick Chalk Sports Talk today. That's right. For some reason, Derek continues to let me run the show without him. I don't know why. I mean, it's like, like, would you leave a child unsupervised with dangerous equipment? No. So why does he do it? I, I don't know. I don't know. Couldn't tell you. All right, Rock Chuck Pickahawk. We're going to have David Lesky of Inside the Crown join us to talk with about the Royals here in about 10 minutes with spring training uh, underway. Which, by the way, Vinny Pasquitino hit a two-run home run in his first plate appearance of the season, of the of the spring 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 training. Uh, and I'm going to ask David Lesky if that means that he is the next Barry Bonds. Or is he the next uh, greatest player of all time? Next Mike Trout. So tune in for that with uh, David Lesky coming up in just about 10 minutes. But Rock Chuck Pickahawk right now, as a reminder, Rock Chuck Pickahawk works like this. Derek and I select two teams of six players each. Uh, we pick in Big 12 play, we have one player from the opposing team. So each of us have one player from West Virginia. The scoring system works like this. Your player gets a point for every point they score, two points for assists and rebounds, three points for steals and blocks. You lose a point for every shot missed, so efficiency matters. You lose two points for turnovers and then minus one point for fouls. And if your player fouls out, you lose an additional three points. On the season, Derek has 13 wins. I have 12. It's been very close. Derek was up like 12 to 6 or 12 to 7. I went on a big run, tied it up at 12 12, but Derek won after the TCU game. And uh, we'll recap this on Monday, I guess, with whoever the winner is. So the draft went like this. I had the first pick. I went with Jalen Wilson. Jalen Wilson has pretty much been the first pick, uh, I think, almost every single game we've done of Rock Chuck Pick Hawk. Grady Dick was the first pick a couple times, but I went with Jalen Wilson. Derek took Dewan Harris and Grady Dick. Again, Dewan Harris with his assisted turnover ratio being the way it is over the past couple few games, like, that's a really good pick, right? Because if he gets eight assists and has one turnover, you're talking about 15 Pickhawk points right there, which is pretty impressive. I took Kevin McCuller and KJ Adams. Kevin McCuller's been great defensively and great for rebounding, so he usually does pretty well on Pickhawk. And then KJ Adams as well. Derek got Ernest Uday and Bobby Pettiford. Ernest Uday hasn't missed a shot in Big 12 play, so talk about efficiency. Dude shooting 100%. And then Bobby Pettiford. And then I took the first West Virginia player. I went with Eric Stevenson. And then I took Joe Yesifu as well. I don't know. Stevenson, like, he's he takes a lot of shots, so there's a possibility that he might not be very efficient and it may not do very well for Pickhawk, but I went with him anyways. I had to pick somebody from West Virginia. And then I took Joe Yesifu. Even though Joe's uh, minutes have kind of gone down and he hasn't really done much, I, I went ahead and went with Joe. And Derek rounded out his uh, team with Trey Mitchell from West Virginia and Zuby Ejiofor, uh as well. And then my last pick, I took Michael Jankovic. And I told Derek, I texted Derek this, Michael Jankovic is going to go nuts when KU's up 25 with four minutes left, and then he's going to be the reason I win Pickhawk. So that's why I took Jankovic. If you look at Trey Mitchell, Trey Mitchell led West Virginia in scoring in the in that game back in January with 15 points. So that might be a good pick for Derek. We'll have to see. So I have Jalen Wilson, Kevin McCullough, and KJ Adams, along with Eric Stevenson, Joey Esifu, and Michael Jankovic. Derek has Dewan Harris, Grady Dick, Ernest Uday, Bobby Pettiford, Trey Mitchell, and Zuby Ejiofor. So we'll tally up the points from Rock Chuck Pickahawk and give you the results on Monday. Right now, Derek has 13 wins. I have 12. 
we haven't actually talked about this. I mean, we haven't determined if there's going to be a prize for winning pick a hawk or if there's any punishment or anything like that. Uh, we'll have to come up with something. We'll have to come up with something, I think. But it's been very close. So to start the year, Derek was like six and one. And then I went on like a six game win streak and made it like uh, seven to six, I think, or something. And then Derek went on like a six game win streak and was up like 12 to seven. And then I went on another streak and made it 12 12. And then Derek finally broke that and won on, against CCU. So I'm hoping that the trend does not continue and that I can bounce back here and not let Derek go on a streak because the reality situation is we're, we're running out of games. So if I let Derek get too many games ahead here down the stretch, I'm not going to be able to come back and win Pickhawk. So. All right, that's our teams for Rock Chalk Pickahawk. We're going to take a short break here on RCST. Coming up in just about five minutes, David Lesky from Inside the Crown is going to join us to talk Royals baseball with spring training underway uh, for the Royals out in Arizona. And we're just, uh, I think, a month away, a little over a month away from the start of the regular season. So we'll talk with David on the other side. We'll take a short time out. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. I'm Nick Springer, Derek Johnson on vacation today. So I'm holding down the fort for him. And we are joined today via phone by David Lesky of Inside the Crown to talk a little bit of Royals as spring training is underway. So, David, spring training has started. First off, just how are you feeling? What's the vibes like with spring training just uh, just getting underway? Yeah, it, it's funny because and I did a mailbag on Wednesday on Inside the Crown, and somebody asked why there's no buzz around the Royals, and and, I, and it, you know, it's hard for me to notice that because I'm like focused on the Royals. And, um, <laughs> but then I started thinking about it. There really wasn't a lot of buzz, and I think a lot of it was the Chiefs. Obviously, I mean, you you, you take a, uh, the Super Bowl is what two days before pitchers and catchers reported, so it was, it was kind of perfect. But you know, there wasn't a whole lot of ramp up time to go from football to baseball for Kansas City fans. Well, there's quite a bit of overlap, I'm sure. Um, a lot of it, there's a lack of coverage by certain publications out there. Um, I'll just say that. <laughs> um, but I, I think for the people who are paying attention, the people who are actually following, and I, and I think a lot of people will catch up as, as spring gets going, I think there's some optimism that maybe this particular Royals team isn't going to be the one that gets back to the playoffs or even 500, but that they've got a lot of the pieces in place just kind of in the whole framework of the organization now that, they're on track again. And, and I think a lot of that excitement is because of the changes in the coaching staff. Um, and just, just kind of the general vibe around the team of, of what, what these new, well, new to the Royals ideas can do for them. So I think that there's some overarching optimism that maybe isn't going to be reflected so much in the actual 2023 Royals, but, um, you know, it, it's a, it's a, to, 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 to steal a phrase from, from a former employee of the Royals, it's a process. <laughs> well, I was actually curious about that because let's say the Royals do perform pretty well in spring training or kind of, you know, make some noise in spring training. What do you think the, the narrative would be about that? Would it be, oh, the young players and young bats are, are performing well? Or, or do you think it would be more of, well, look, they brought in a new coaching staff and look what's happened. What, what do you think the narrative would be if, let's say, the Royals, you know, end up having a pretty decent uh, spring season? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I, I don't know that there will be a huge narrative from that. I think that we've seen. I mean, the Royals are are one of the best Cactus League teams of all time, right? They they win championships every year at teams. Right? So, um, I I think that it's it's something that 
even if even if the reason they are better in spring is because of changes that can actually be seen throughout the regular season and into other seasons, I don't think people will buy in. Um, they've just been they've been bad for too long. I mean, the last time they were even relevant to the trade deadline was 2017, and it's 2023. It's funny because I think for people, especially like me, um, and then probably you too, 2015 doesn't feel like that long ago, but it was also eight years ago. (laughs) Wow. I don't, I don't, I don't like that. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, you don't, you don't realize it until you, until you realize it. And, um, I, I think that, you know, it's, it's just there's a lot of hurt. Uh, <laughs> I feel like it, in people, and so um, I don't know that spring training necessarily is going to give them warm fuzzies, even if they do go. I don't know how many games they play: twenty-one and eleven. I must guess thirty-two, whatever. But um, I do think it'll. I, th- I think it can help a little bit if they look competent. Um, but you know, it it's going to have to extend into the regular season. They're going to have to pitch better. Uh, they're going to have to show better at bats, which I, I think that people aren't really concerned about the offense. I think that we need to see some things from some of these young offensive players um, that we haven't necessarily seen yet. But I'm not, I'm not really concerned about them. Most people don't seem concerned about them. But we need to see better pitching, and and that's that's going to be the thing. Um, you know, and, and I, it's funny because when people. And I, I, I'm part of people here, obviously. But when when you're expecting something, when you think, okay, this is this, whatever whatever change was made is going to make cause this result. And if you see that result quickly, even if the sample size is way too small, you're immediately going to buy it. And so it would not surprise me if the Royals go out in the first two weeks of the season. I don't even remember their their opening schedule. I think they've got a pretty tough start to the season with, I think Minnesota and Toronto is in there for sure. Um, but if they go out and they're 15 games in with a 2.97 team ERA, people are going to go nuts because it, it fulfills what they're believing will happen. Um, so that'll be interesting, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm just excited to see how it works out. I'm excited to see what the changes do. I'm excited to see how, these talented pitchers that have not performed, how they do with this new staff? Well, speaking of the pitching, Brad Keller has a new pitch. Evidently, uh, what, what do you expect two, from two new pitches? <laughs> well, there you go. Well, what do you expect from him? Or I guess there was that article that was put out about talking about what he did in the offseason. I guess what was your takeaways from that, and what do you expect from him coming into this season? Um, my, it's interesting because my takeaway. I need to stop doing this. I think it's a bad bad habit I'm getting myself into, but my takeaway is thinking about just how annoyed I am that they took that long to get rid of Cal Aldridge, because you, you, you see these comments about how like Brad, Brad Keller saying, I wasn't an analytics guy, I didn't really understand it. Well, who, so that, that's the coaching, that's coaching staff's job, to make him understand that. I'm not saying you have to be an analytics guy, but you got to understand what's being used in baseball today. Um, I'm not, there's some blame to, to give to Keller on that. Have some intellectual curiosity. Learn from yourself. Like you know, there, there's especially on your on your pitching staff. Daniel Lynch and Chris Bubich are very analytical. Talk to them. They might be able to help you. Um, so there's there's definitely some blame on Brad Keller there. So that was my biggest takeaway. Which again, I, I need to stop harping on the old staff. I think um, that we know the problems they caused. It's over. Uh, <laughs> we're safe. We can mark ourselves safe on Facebook. Um, but it, it's <clears throat> I don't know what to expect. Is, is the problem because 
Keller is really interesting. He, this, you watch him pitch, and you see a mid-upper 90s fastball at times. You see a slider that can really work at times. You see hitters have a really hard time squaring the ball up at times. And you think, well, why isn't this guy better? And, and some of it is he doesn't have a swing and miss. And, and that's what this curve, and, and it's not a new pitch, but it's kind of altering his slider to be more of the sweeper that we've seen, um, specifically in the Dodgers organization. They really did a nice job. Dodgers and Yankees, I think, did, have done the best jobs with that pitch. But if he can get more swing and miss and maintain that bowling ball feel to his fastball, yeah, there might be something. I'm going to need to see it to believe it, because now we've got two years of Brad Keller struggling. It's not... Oh, he was really he was good from twenty eighteen to twenty twenty, and then struggled in twenty one. Now he struggled in twenty one and twenty two. Two years is a lot. It's a big sample. Um, but anytime a pitcher struggles and makes a change, you at least take notice because it's it's an effort to try to fix whatever caused those issues. So I'm interested. Um, it, it, the timing just stinks, honestly, because he's a free agent too, and. Your options are if he pitches well, you can trade him, and that's fine. Or you can let it go to the end of the season and try to re-sign him, and that's fine too. Um, but you know you don't—you're not really getting the benefits of it as an organization for very long. So that part stinks, but it—you know—it is what it is. So from a big picture, where, where do you think the the question marks still are with the rotation right now? What what are you most looking for? I guess in spring training leading up to the season. Well, I mean, I think we know that it's. Singer, Grinky, and Jordan Lyles in some order. It doesn't really matter what order. Those three are going to be in the rotation. Grinky and, and Lyles have make the money. Singer had the season last year, and Grinky did too. Um, and Lyles wasn't bad for Baltimore. I think I, I don't like two years on him. I don't really care about eight and a half million. That's what thing, that's what pitchers cost cost now. So you know, deal with it, I guess. <laughs> but um, it, the, the the four and five spots in the rotation. Those are the question: Lynch, Keller, Bubich, uh, Coar. Max Castillo, um, I don't know. I'm trying to think of other of Jonathan Heasley. There, there's there's a bunch. Anhel Zerpa. There's so many names that you can just keep going for a while. They're all going to compete for that spot, and that's a big question. Um, it, it's tough to evaluate in spring training, but I, I do think the Royals, Brady Singer going to the WBC, I think actually helps a little bit. If they feel comfortable with not worrying about him being with the team, that's a few extra innings for some guys to, to showcase themselves. Um, but, you know, it, it's really about can these young guys, and, and this is the, the big emphasis that you see everywhere, can they throw strikes? It's as simple as that. I mean, really is. And I, I think what they're doing is really interesting. It started with that Baseball America article last week, I think it was, Wednesday or Thursday last week, talking about how how the Rays fix pitching control problems. And then in my head, I was like, well, a lot of this is catching. And they brought over Matt Quattrero and Paul Hoover, who handled catching stuff with the Rays. So I think the Royals are going to do this. And then you start to see the articles come out. I think that's really interesting, how they're handling the catcher setup and, and all that stuff. So, you know, it, it's it, it's a really fun battle to watch to see two rotation spots up for grabs. Um, and, I, and I think Lynch and Keller are the favorites. So you know, anytime you're a favorite, you've got to pitch your way out of that spot and somebody has to pitch their way in as well. So there's a lot that has to happen, but spring training battles are fun. It, it, it's a, it's something to talk about. 
and B, I think it brings out the best in people. How do you think the Drew Waters injury affects the team? It, it's a tough one. Um, Drew Waters helped a lot of things. He's a really good defender, so whether he was playing center or right, he helped the outfield. I think Kyle Isbell was going to be the center or right fielder, whichever one Waters wasn't. Now Isbell's going to be in center, it looks like. Um, Waters is a switch hitter, so you can you can break the lineup up any way you want with him because he pitched from both sides of the plate. So it's a tough loss. Um, there are a few candidates. I think Edward Olivares and Nate Eaton are the biggest potential beneficiaries. Um, when they signed Fran Mel Reyes to the minor league deal, I, I think it, I kind of assumed he was going to make the team and be the DH. And obviously he can look terrible in spring and nothing. Um, and it won't matter, but I, I don't know. I have this hunch. He's going to look good. They're going to put him on the roster. He may or may not work out, but that, that's a roster spot. And, and so where does that leave Olivares? Where does that leave Eaton? Well, with waters out, there's a spot for both for sure now. So, um, Eaton is a much better defender. Olivares has shown to be a better hitter though. I think Eaton could be a solid hitter. So it, it'll, it'll be a fun battle there too. Um, I wonder a little bit if Nick Prado factors in. You know, he, I think he was a guy, and I think he probably still is, but I think he was ticketed for Omaha after he, he had a rough debut. He, he swung and missed a lot, um, showed some stuff. I, I, think, I think we saw some power. We saw the defense at first base, but he can also play a corner outfield. And I, I wonder if, if he gets some, some run out there as well. Um, you know, mentioning the WBC, Benny Pasquantino is going to be with Team Italy. So, Prado will get to play some first, too, but that's something that I'd, I'd watch out for. Um, but ultimately, I think it's going to be Eden or Oliveris, and I think that's how they, they fill that hole until the end of April. And hopefully by that point, they have a really tough decision to make because they're playing so well that what do you do? But um, I, you know, that, that's one of those good problems. That they'll, they'll cross that when they get there. <laughs> okay, so along those lines, what player or players do you think spring training is most important to in terms of trying to make that opening day roster, trying to be on the, on the big league team? Um, you know, I'll, I'll answer it, but I will say that with this coaching staff and the way the Royals want to handle their roster, I'm not sure the opening day roster is that big of a deal. I think there's okay. going to be a lot of movement up and down. I really do. So um, that that's important to remember. Um, but what spring training is great for in those situations is you want to impress your manager. I mean, I think back to, gosh, I think it was 2016, and Ned Yost just could not stop talking about Matt Strom. And he wasn't a big leaguer, but he was up early. I mean, early-ish in the year, mid-season. And he was one of those guys who kind of jumped on the radar because he impressed in spring training. And, and so I think those guys, you're looking, Jackson Coar is a really, really big name. I keep hearing his name from people. Um, I think Max Castillo can do a lot to impress this coaching staff and be a part of the bullpen rotation throughout the year. Um, I think Prado. I think it's a big spring for Nick Prado after the way he struggled. I, and I mentioned that he could be in the outfield mix, but they're not done with him. His his potential isn't over. Um, I, I think that that's a it's a big spring for him. And I'm trying to think if there's any, and Michael Massey. I think is another big one. He's in my opinion, he is the leader at second base right now, but it's like 53-47 over Nicky Lopez. So it's not like he's got a firm grasp on that job. And, you know, bring up the WBC again. Lopez is going to be with Team Italy also. So that's 
Massey's got a really big chance to impress this coaching staff and, and earn that opening day roster nod. So those, those guys, I think, are the most have the most on the line. But you know, it's it's uh, there's a lot of players who are vying for playing time at some point in 2023, and then that's what spring is good for for them. Earlier on, you mentioned that um, 2023 could be a year that that builds some confidence in some of the young players, or kind of a building block type year. I guess, what does that look like for you? Does that look like 75 wins? Does that look like, you know, a team ERA, whatever, under whatever number? I guess, what, what does that look like for you? What is this, I guess, a, a successful season or a, maybe the ceiling of this team? What does that look like? Yeah, the ceiling of the team is so interesting because, like, looking at all the young players, and I'm to get your take, too. I, I think I'm, I'm interested to see what you think. But if every single one of them hits their ceiling, I mean, this is a really good team. You know, it's not yeah, like... could be, could be. It's, it's not... Yeah, it's not like they're sitting with talentless players. Um, you look at every position on the diamond, save for maybe third base, and even I think Hunter Dozier has a ceiling that we saw in 2019, too. Um, I mean, that, this, is, this is a good team if, if everybody hits the ceiling. That, that's, that's an absolute 90-plus win ceiling. Obviously, that's not realistic. I think if, if you're looking at realistic ceilings, it's 82, 83 wins. I, you know, more likely they're probably about 10 wins below that just because it's tough for things to work out perfectly across the board. Um, but I don't know that the win total matters so much. Um, it does because it's, it's for the things that need to work out to work out, they're not going to lose games if they happen. So, I mean, it kind of goes hand in hand, but I think it's really more about can Witt and Melendez and Massey and Isbell and Pasquantino, can they progress on the pitching side? Can Lynch throw strikes? Can Bubich, Kowar, whoever it is, can they throw strikes? And if these things happen, the record's going to be there. If they don't, the record's not. So I think it's really more important how they get there. Um, but, again, they kind of go hand in hand. So you mentioned at the, at the top of the segment about sort of the maybe a lack of a buzz about the Royals going into spring training, obviously, with some of the struggles they've had. I guess – for Royals fans who are maybe skeptical of investing too much emotionally into the team in 2023, what what would you say to them to try to get them on board? I mean, they're fun. They're young. Everybody loves a young team. Um, and it's not like bad young. It's not like the uh, 2005 Royals who were young but bad. Um, I mean, all around, the, like I said, Pasquino, Massey, Witt, Melendez, Isbell, Waters eventually um, – Tyler Gentry is going to be up at some point. Salvi's fun. Zach Grinke's fun to watch, even though he's not young. But, like, they are a young team that have a lot of fun players. I, even when they're losing, it's going to be more entertaining than it, than it has been in the past. I mean, think back to August and September. They weren't good, but they were pretty entertaining because they were, they were playing the young guys. And I think that's what people want. I think that's what they're going to get this year. All right, he is David Lesky of Inside the Crown. You can check him out and subscribe to his Substack there. David, thanks so much for taking some time to talk about Royals. I'm sure we'll start having you on more often with the spring training moving on and the Royals season getting started soon. So thanks for coming on. Looking forward to it. Thanks, Nick. All right, thank you very much. That was David Lesky once again here on Rock Talk Sports Talk, talking a little bit of Royals as spring training gets underway and the season's about over a month away. One hour down here on RCST. We'll take a short break. Top of the hour, 4 o'clock hour coming up. We'll have sports stock market and also some Bill Self audio coming up later on in the 4 o'clock hour. This is Rock Talk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. <laughs> 4 o'clock hour here on Rock Talk Sports Talk. I'm Nick Springer. Derek Johnson out today. We'll be back on Monday. So on this Friday, 
We have Nick Chuck Sports Talk back here on KLWN. Coming up in the 4 o'clock hour, off some Bill Self audio coming up later on as he had a chance to catch up with the media ahead of the matchup against West Virginia tomorrow. But it is that time on a Friday for the sports stock market. Markets have closed, and I'm here to tell you if stocks are going up or down here on RCSD. All right, first up on our sports stock market. Stocks are down on darkness. That's right. Aaron Rodgers, he's free. He's been freed, or he chose to. I don't see. I don't understand the whole darkness retreat thing because, like, couldn't he have just left at any time? Like, what? I don't understand why it had to be a set number of time. But anyways, stocks down on darkness because Aaron Rodgers is free. He's back in the light. He did his. He did his time in the dark, and he's been freed once again. What does that mean? I don't really know. And to be quite honest, I don't really care either. Uh, but. I don't know. I guess we'll see. Aaron Rodgers, I'm not I'm not really sure. I just want to go on record again as saying back in like, oh man, back in like uh, uh, like in December, I think, I, on this very show with Derek Johnson, I said, Derek, I'm going to tell you something. Aaron Rodgers is going to go be like a monk on a mountaintop somewhere and make a big deal about how, oh, I need to figure out, I need to go meet with God or whatever to determine if I'm going to come back and make $50 million next year to play quarterback. And look what happened. This guy goes into a, he went into a literal, literally, he went into a hobbit hole. He went to a hobbit hole, willingly. Yeah. I know Aaron Rodgers better than he does. Stocks down on darkness. Okay. Stocks are tentatively up on Ted Lasso. Tentatively. It was going to be stocks up on Ted Lasso because of, because more people were going to watch Ted Lasso when they purchased Apple TV to watch the Pac-12 on Apple TV. But earlier today, it came out that Apple TV has not officially submitted an offer to the Pac-12, and the Pac-12 is still open to negotiation with other whatever companies. So stocks are tentatively up on Ted Lasso. I don't want to say they're totally up, so you know uh, you can still maybe buy stocks on Ted Lasso, but I'm not I'm not saying that for sure because now it sounds like the Apple TV has not issued any sort of offer to the Pac-12 for Apple TV. So now I can't say for sure that people are going to watch more Ted Lasso because they're only going to buy Apple TV for Pac-12 Network, right? By the way, do they would they call it the Pac-12 Network if it's on Apple TV? Would it be like the Pac-12 Network on Apple TV? Or would it be like just the Pac-12? Like, would it be still a network, I guess? I guess technically no. Like, are streaming services considered networks? I would... I don't know. I guess no, but... Then you just you just call it the Pac-12 on Apple TV. I don't know, but it's not on Apple TV yet, and Apple TV supposedly has not given them an official offer, so can't be sure yet. I don't know where the Pac-12 is going to be. They may just end up being nowhere. But hey, don't let the Pac-12 tell you that everything is fine according to the Pac-12. Don't let them make you think that there anything there's any problems happening right now with the Pac-12. Okay, stocks are down on air fryers. Now listen, air fryers over the past couple years, stocks have gone way up. I mean, air fryers have gone from, from I didn't even know what they were, you know, three, four years ago to like one of the most popular, easy cooking things you can have in terms of just making whatever. You can throw whatever you want in there and, and voila, right? Well, stocks are down though. Here's why stocks are down. The company, uh, Corsi, I think is how you say it, is voluntarily recalling over 2 million air fryers after a faulty wire issue 
has been found to cause the air fryer to overheat or potentially catch on fire. And actually, uh, I believe 10 people have suffered injuries because of this, uh, this defect. The issue stems from a wire connection that can overheat, causing the air fryer to uh, catch on fire or whatever, or potentially cause damage. So, stocks down on air fryers. Stay away from air fryers, guys. Stay away from air fryers. Stocks down on air fryers. All right, stocks up on cool sports anniversaries. On this day in 1980, actually, today, February 24th, 1980, the U.S. Olympic hockey team defeated Finland for the gold medal as part of the uh, Miracle on Ice after defeating Russia. And this got me thinking, I wonder how many people out there just are just walking around just assuming that the Miracle on Ice game in which the U.S. defeated Russia, that was just the gold medal game. Like, do, are there people out there that, that know that actually that was not and that Finland was actually the... Uh... But listen, I'll just tell you this. You don't want to be that guy to say that. Like, this is like a classic party thing, right? Like, let's you're at a party, okay? And I don't even know how this would come up, but for whatever reason, somebody says, oh, yeah, remember when, uh, you know, the Miracle on Ice, when the U.S. defeated Russia for gold? You do not want to be that guy that goes, um, actually, that was not for gold. They had to play Finland and defeated Finland for, like, you do not want to be that guy. So I'm just telling you, if you're at a party and that happens, just don't say anything. I think that's probably the best approach because I don't, I don't think there's any way that you could possibly approach that to where you don't sound like a, the bad guy, to where you don't sound like the Mr. Buzzkill there. Just being like, um, excuse me, uh, actually, that was not for gold medal. They had to they had to play Finland and defeat Finland for gold. Like, there's no way, there's no way you can spin that to where people aren't going to be like, dude, get a load of this guy. Like, what? Who is this guy? Who invited this guy? Just keep your mouth shut. Just keep your mouth shut. Don't say anything. Let it be. But here, see, here right now on the show, I can say, hey, by the way, did you know, actually, they wasn't for gold? I, I don't know. I'm just curious. Like, I wonder if there are a lot of people out there that think that it was that way. You know? I, I don't know. I don't know. By the way, on this day in 1980, U.S. Olympic team defeated Finland for the gold medal. So maybe if, if you're feeling nostalgic, you can watch the movie with Kurt Russell. It's pretty good. It's a pretty good movie. I like Kurt Russell a lot. But uh, yeah, there you go. All right, stocks are up on dancing. That's right. Isaiah Pacheco, Chiefs running back. He went to a Rutgers basketball game last night and stole the show once again with his incredible dance moves. I don't understand how you could not love Isaiah Pacheco and everything he's everything he's about. He's he's an incredible player on the field. He runs hard. He's he's a great guy and and also he won the Super Bowl. And he's got great dance moves. And there was videos of him at the Super Bowl parade just absolutely tearing it up on the parade route, doing his dance moves and stuff. And I just I just don't understand how you could just not be so happy for Isaiah Pacheco because I I, I don't think I've seen anybody enjoying life over the past, you know, couple weeks more than this guy. And I'm just I'm just thrilled for him. I'm just so happy for him. And I remember uh I, I think this was uh, I'm trying to remember where I saw this somewhere. Earlier in the season, uh, Isaiah Pacheco was talking about how, hey, you know, I I didn't, I, I'm excited to just play for a championship because I've never really won that much over the course of my career, right? Like he was basically talking about how, you know, obviously when he was at Rutgers, Rutgers wasn't, uh, you know, it wasn't like a Georgia or Clemson or whatever or a team that was competing for even like a Big Ten or whatever, you know, 
So he was talking about how getting drafted to the Chiefs, it was like, wow, I have a chance to like actually, you know, win a championship. And then he did. And I'm just so happy for him. I mean, I, there's nobody, seriously, seriously, there's nobody that I'm more happy for, I think, for the Chiefs than Isaiah Pacheco because of just what it's clearly meant to him, his reaction to it, uh, and just how much how much he's he's clearly enjoyed it, right? Like, like I would say Pacheco is one. Frank Clark and Chris Jones, those both those guys, I'm really happy for that they that they got it. Uh, just because again, just you saw how much it means to those guys. Um, I'm trying to think, those are those are the big ones I thought that that stood out to me as as guys that were just clearly were just really emotional and and I mean you know it's not that obviously everybody on the team like deserves it but just guys that outwardly was like wow you know I mean this this guy put his heart and soul into this like Chris Jones I think is a close second to Isaiah Pacheco just in terms of just guys that you know you just you just love to see it for him. and for Pacheco the he's a great dancer also I mean he just he's he's an incredible dancer so stocks are up on dancing uh, here's another interesting one. Stocks down on having a nice office. They may say, dude, what's wrong with having a nice office? Like, how could stocks possibly be down on having a nice office? Well, I'll tell you. According to The Athletic, this is a story from The Athletic, the, the Broncos, the Denver Broncos gave Russell Wilson uh, unprecedented benefits as a player, basically, uh, when he when he joined the Broncos, to the point where their, their personnel building the second floor is like all of the coaches and coaching staff and whatnot, and the first floor is more like the players. Well, Russell Wilson got himself a nice office on the second floor to come play for the Broncos. And apparently that caused some 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 consternation among the players, or it, it became a sticking point of people disgruntled about Russell Wilson getting a, a job up up top upstairs with the with the coaching staff and not down with the players. And that seemed to uh, to cause a problem. Now, Russell Wilson, according to the article, he had an open door policy, but apparently that wasn't enough for some players. There was a quote in there that was basically like, "Your open door should be your open locker room door, not your second floor fancy office room door." Basically, so Russell Wilson, it turns out, uh, there was a, uh, a lot more going on there in terms of you know you saw all the videos obviously of guys like kind of given him the, like there was a Melvin Gordon side eye thing there was uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the D tackle that there was a video of the D tackle just kind of ripping into him on the sideline for one game and evidently it ran deeper than that it ran even deeper into like this whole office stuff so it turns out that getting a nice office may not always be a good thing for your job and in this case it sounds like it was actually a bad thing for Russell Wilson as it kind of further separated himself from from maybe the team and and you know that's fair like I, I think that's a good point you know obviously quarterbacks are the most important position on the team and and quarterbacks are like the guys right but you don't want to be the quarterback that like also puts yourself on a pedestal and is like oh I'm high and mighty like I'm better than the rest of the team like no you need to be you need to be down there with the team you know that like that's that's not the right way to lead a team I don't think is is to is to do that. I mean, clearly it didn't. Clearly it did not pan out for the Broncos. Clearly it did not work for the Broncos because obviously they sucked this season, period. And I wonder if with the coaching change with Sean Payton, if they will, if they'll kick Russell Wilson out of his fancy office down to the, with the rest of the players. So I don't know, but yeah, stocks down on having a nice office may not be as nice as 
you might think. You know, I mean, I mean, uh, under what circumstance would you think having a nice office would be bad? I'm, I'm guessing you probably, before this segment, you probably were like, you're probably just walking around minding your own business thinking, man, you know, everybody who has a nice office, that's probably, there's probably no negatives to having a nice office. Like what could possibly be a negative of having a nice office? What are the cons of having a nice office? I can only think of pros. Well, listen, I've just given you a con. The con is if you're Russell Wilson playing for the Denver Broncos. That's the con. So just keep that in mind. Stock's down on having a nice office. All right, that's about going to do it for sports stock market. Stock's down on Derek Johnson being present today. He's not here. Stock's down on Derek. That is sports stock market here on Rock Talk Sports Talk. We're about to take a short time out. I got some Bill Self Audio coming up later on in the hour. We have a quick uh, spring sports update coming up in our next segment, talking a little bit about uh, KU baseball and KU softball. We had we had uh, Dan Fitzgerald on the show earlier this week to talk about their first weekend, so we'll talk a little bit more about that. Give a little update on the spring sports, and in the 5 o'clock hour, some more Big 12 basketball talk. Is we got a full slate coming up tomorrow, not just KU and West Virginia. All 10 Big 12 teams are in action tomorrow, and there's a couple important games as well besides KU and West Virginia. Also going to hear from Kevin McCuller uh, in the 5 o'clock hours. He had a chance to catch up with the media before the matchup against West Virginia tomorrow. We'll take a short time out right now here on Rock Talk Sports Talk. This is RCST on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. 5 o'clock hour here on Rock Talk Sports Talk. I'm Nick Springer. Derek Johnson out today. He'll be back on Monday. So Nick Chalk Sports Talk today. It's been a good show so far, and we've got one more hour coming up in this hour. We're about to get to some Big 12 basketball talk, and also Kevin McCuller will have some audio from him coming up later on in the hour, and also our RCST replay coming up later on in the 5 o'clock hour with David Lesky, in case you missed uh, our conversation with him earlier in the show, uh, talking a little bit of Royals baseball with David. But as I kind of teased in the in the previous hour, it's a full slate of Big 12 basketball on Saturday tomorrow. It's not just KU and West Virginia. All 10 teams in the Big 12 will be in action with a couple of intriguing matchups, to say the least, uh, tomorrow. So I'll just I'll just go from straight down. Uh, these are the matchups tomorrow. you got TCU and Texas Tech at 11 a.m., and that game is interesting. I talked a lot about West Virginia and kind of having that mentality of they still need to win to, to – solidify a spot in the NCAA tournament. Well, Texas Tech is very much in that same boat. And Texas Tech was a team that a month ago you probably thought I had no chance, but they've really, really rallied and have been pretty good as of late. And they've got TCU at home. And TCU is a team that, uh, Derek and I talked about this earlier in the week, TCU is a team that is going to end up being like a seven seed, but that is a very, very, very dangerous seven seed. And, uh, you know, if they get in a region like Let's say maybe they get a, a seven seed and it's Tennessee's the two in their region. I, I kind of think I kind of think TCU might might win that game, right? Uh, you know, there's a possibility that TCU could be an underseeded team because they've stacked up some losses. They've had some injuries, obviously, but you look at the two seeds right now: UCLA, Texas, Arizona, Baylor are the, kind of the projected two seeds. Tennessee has actually fallen off to a three on the three line now. So I mean, yeah. What if what if TCU does end up in the same region as as UCLA? I mean, as a seven seed, are they winning that? Or let's say they're a six seed. If, I mean, if they're a six seed, they could get a three six matchup against Tennessee. Or like Marquette. Like, are you really going to pick Marquette against TCU? I don't know, man. I mean, if TCU's healthy, like that's a really good team, you know. 
And they've got a game against Texas Tech on the road in Lubbock, which is a tough place to win. And I think also it's interesting, you know, we saw Kansas in an 11 a.m. game against Iowa State on the road just not show up, right? And and I don't know if that's just a Kansas thing or, you know, maybe an early game on the road in a, in a tough environment. Maybe it affects TCU in this game too against Texas Tech. So I think that game is definitely one to keep an eye on because of the implications for Tech, uh, certainly trying to make the NCAA tournament. But I think that I think that's one to, to, to keep your eye on. All right, probably the most bleh matchup of the day is Oklahoma at Iowa State. I don't think Oklahoma can make the tournament at this point, and Iowa State is pretty firmly entrenched on the on the four seed line. They could probably jump up to a three seed, but I mean they're not going to jump up to a three seed by beating Oklahoma. I can assure you that. So, but yeah, I think Oklahoma is is pretty much done. I would say. I don't think they have any chance. So this is probably the least uh, interesting matchup, I would say, Oklahoma at Iowa State, just because there's not really much much implications for either team. Like Oklahoma, yeah, they're, they're in dead last, right? And they're they're not going to make it into the NCAA tournament. And Iowa State, out of it for the Big 12 championship, for the regular season at least. And again, like, a win against Oklahoma is not going to move them really on on terms of seeding. So so definitely the most uh the most bleh matchup of the day, I would say. Then you got K-State at Oklahoma State. Another game in which you look at Oklahoma State, I, I kind of I briefly mentioned this uh Kansas may have broken Oklahoma State. I mean, Oklahoma State has Really, really, kind of fallen off lately. Uh, after the, after the Kansas game, after the Kansas game at home, they have they have slipped. Uh, let's see, I don't even know where they are in Ken Palm. They're 40th in Ken Palm right now. It's they're 16 and 12, but they lose to Kansas by 11. They get absolutely demolished by TCU by 25, give up 100, and they lose to West Virginia 85-67. I mean, this is a team that was. Think about this. So Kansas, the Kansas game, Tuesday, December, Tuesday, February 14th, so 10 days ago. Going into that game, Oklahoma State's defense was top five in efficiency per Ken Palm. In, in, that, in that span, they've dropped to 14. They've dropped nine spots after giving up 87 against Kansas, 100 against CCU, and 85 against West Virginia. I mean, this is a team that prior to this three-game stretch against Kansas, CCU, and West Virginia, they'd only given up over 70 points, I think, like twice in their last – 10, 12, 15 games. I mean, they gave up 73 in a win against CCU. They beat TCU 79-73. And then they lost against Texas 89-75 back on uh, January 24th. So how many games is that? 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. So in 8 games, they had given up more than 70 points. They lost against Baylor 74-58. But they hadn't given up 70 points since Tuesday, December 20th. Or no, actually, you have to go even further back. You have to go back to Sunday, December 11th. So, you know, this was a one of the best defenses in the country, but they seem to be kind of broken now. And they finished the season with Kansas State at home, Baylor at home, and Texas Tech on the road. You figure they need to go at least 2-1, and one, right? I mean, I think most brackets still have Oklahoma State pretty firmly in as like an 11 seed. But, yeah, they got to go at least 2-1. and one. So a big one at home for Oklahoma State against Kansas State. 
And like I said, I think they need to go two and one, either winning against Kansas State and Baylor lose Tech, or you know lose one of those and win at, on the road at Tech. That that game against Tech to end the season could could ultimately determine which one of those teams makes it in and which one of those teams maybe misses the tournament, right? So that's an interesting matchup. Kansas State pretty firmly on the three line for the time being. And you look at the Big 12, they got Kansas obviously as a one. Texas and Baylor look like they're going to be twos. K-State is a three. Iowa State could maybe get to a three. They're sitting at a four right now. I guess TCU is listed as a six. And, and again, that's the most dangerous six seed, I think. I mean, look at T- so here's so you got TCU listed as a six. The other currently projected six seeds, San Diego State, Northwestern, Illinois, and TCU. Wow. Very dangerous. So K-State and Oklahoma State, that's tomorrow as well. And then the certainly the most significant matchup of the day featuring two top 15 teams nationally and, and also the implications it could have for the Big 12 title. That's Texas at Baylor, which is at 1 o'clock immediately, immediately leading into the Kansas-West Virginia game. So basically, Kansas fans will know by the time KU tips off whether or not they might have a chance with a win to to really distance themselves from Texas. Like you'll know basically uh, if Texas is going to win at Baylor before the KU game tips off. So you have a pretty good idea. I would assume that like the coaching staff and the players probably aren't going to probably aren't going to try to find out about that. I don't. I mean, I don't know. I feel like that's kind of a case by case thing. I guess you know, like if you're a player or a coach, would you would you want to know ahead of time? Probably not. I would think that's how I feel. I guess. Maybe it could be different. But yeah, Texas at Baylor is uh, definitely the most marquee matchup of of the day tomorrow just by two ranked teams and what it could mean for the Big 12 title race. You look at what Texas has done. They dropped that game against Texas Tech. They won in overtime against Oklahoma and then took care of business pretty easily at home against Iowa State. They've got TCU, Baylor, and Kansas left on the schedule. And they could lose. I mean, two of those are on the road, TCU and Baylor. or Yeah, TCU and Baylor. And Kansas obviously would only need them to probably drop one of those games. If they drop two, then I think Kansas would be in a position to would already have it outright at that point because wouldn't that give Texas six losses in conference? I haven't, I don't even know what, let's see. Mm. Yeah, I think so. So certainly a, a a major game, Texas at Baylor. And then, of course, West Virginia at Kansas at 3 o'clock tomorrow. A game that Kansas certainly can't take for granted given the opponent, uh, considering metrics love West Virginia. West Virginia is another team that's fighting for an NCAA tournament spot. So a game that the Kansas can't overlook, and I don't expect them to. I don't think they will, but they certainly need to keep their head on the swivel for that one. And it, it should be, it should be an interesting matchup. I, you know, you got Jalen Wilson who's been sort of down lately, but and by down, I don't even know if that's the right term because he's still averaging almost 13 points per game. Dewan Harris has been fabulous lately. Kevin McCuller is the best defender on the team. It looks like and has been so good rebounding also. K.J. Adams continues to be 
pretty reliable. Ernest Uday is coming along. You hope Joe is available just, just for the sake of having bodies available. And I do think it's interesting, you know, at one point in the season, you would have considered the the big man position, the five spot, to be the position you have the most depth at. Because you would have, at one point, you would have KJ, Ernest Uday, Zuby Ejiofor, Cam Martin, and Zach Clements. Well, Cam Martin sounds like he's done for the year. And Zach and Zuby, neither have really been that healthy lately. So it's really only been KJ and Ernest. And obviously, we did see some of Zuby when there was foul trouble to, to KJ and Ernest. But a position that you felt like was one that you had more depth, not really the case anymore. But I, I the, the depth talk for Kansas has certainly died down a bit. And I kind of expected it to, I guess, because... Come March, you know, Bill Self's rotation is normally just seven or eight guys. And it looks like, you know, the rotation right now is you're starting five plus Ernest plus Bobby slash Joe, basically. I don't know how much of MJ Rice we'll be seeing down the stretch, uh, if any. I'm not really sure about that. So, you, I mean, the, your starting five are just going to be the guys you're going to have to rely on, which I think is fine for the most part. Uh, again, you know, there's the, there's a whole discussion of fatigue, but remember at the NCAA tournament, you get extended breaks for media timeouts. They take longer timeouts in, for media and you're going to have a little bit more time in between games if you're moving on to the second weekend, right? So I, I think Kansas is going to be fine from that standpoint. Like I definitely don't think that Kansas is going to lose a tournament game because the starters were too tired, right? Or whatever. I don't, I don't think that's really going to be the case. But again, that's kind of subjective because if Kansas has a game like, I don't think they'll have a game like Iowa State, but even like a TCU game, a TCU at home, I should say, where they just come out and really struggle early on and get down big and then that's how they lose. Like, yeah, I don't, I don't know if you could specifically blame like lack of energy or the team being tired, but it probably would be part of the discussion. All right, so that's a little bit of a look around at uh, the rest of the Big 12. TCU and Texas Tech, Oklahoma, Iowa State, K-State, Oklahoma State, Texas, and Baylor, and, of course, West Virginia and Kansas, which West Virginia and Kansas you can hear right here on KLWN. Tomorrow with pregame coverage beginning at 1.30 and tip-off at 3 o'clock right here on KLWN. We're going to take a short time out here on Rock Talk Sports Talk. When we come back, we'll hear from Kevin McCuller. had a little bit of audio to pick up to get from him. Uh, from yesterday with the media, so we'll hear from Kevin McCuller and also our RCS replay, com- RCSC replay coming up later on in the hour with David Lesky in case you missed our conversation with him earlier in the show. We'll take a timeout. This is RCST on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN.